Hello and welcome to the Conservative Crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in today. Very excited for today's episode. So, so this is coming out on a Friday, on Friday, November 5th. I'm recording this on Friday, November 5th, and I'm recording this at 9.31 a.m. And my goal is to get this out by 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is the time I'm recording this in as well. So we're going to see if I can do that, because I'm trying to do a daily episode. I'm trying to do at least a week of daily podcasts. I see how they do. So if you enjoy the daily podcast, make sure you rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Engage with me through voice messages on anchor.fm slash the conservative crusader. Anchor.fm slash the conservative crusader. Uh, anchor.fm slash T H E C O N S E R V A T I V E C R U A C R U S A D E R. The Conservative Crusader, or gopjosh.com slash show. Click the anchor button. You can also engage via email. My email is josh at gopjosh.com. Send me a gram, as in like a, a, a what, 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 did, what did Rush Limbaugh call his emails? I don't remember. A dittogram? Like a, not like a, okay, that, that, that came out wrong. Okay, send me an email, gopjosh.com, josh at gopjosh.com. Mother of Loudoun County bathroom rapist blames the victim, saying, You are 15. You can reasonably defend yourself. This is from Ta- Landon Meon from Town Hall. The mother of the skirt-wearing boy, who was convicted of raping a ninth-grade girl in Loudoun County school restroom, said Monday that the victim was to blame for being assaulted because she did not make stronger attempts to defend herself. The boy's mother, who said said in an interview that her son, who last week was found guilty on two counts of rape, was not transgender despite the reports alleging that he was. She said that he just likes to wear skirts sometimes. Just casually likes to wear skirts sometimes and go to girls' bathrooms and, and rapes them. But she also said that her son's actions, defended her son's actions pertaining to the sexual assault, falsely alleging that at the time of the May 20th assault, he wanted to have sex in the bathroom with someone that was willing. Wow. The mother then proceeded to blame the victim for not doing more to fight off her rapist. If I was in a position where I was about to be raped, I would be kicking, screaming, everything, she told the Daily Mail. You're 15, you can reasonably defend yourself, you're not just going to sit there and take it, and so because there wasn't a presence of a fight, he felt like it was okay to keep going. Okay, first off, I want to go back to that, was willing, wanting to have intercourse in the bathroom with somebody that was willing. That right there, that statement right there should be enough to throw out this transgender bathroom policy. Allowing children to have intercourse in the school restrooms should be enough to throw out this policy. But it's not. It isn't in today's society. You have to comply with people's demands to where you can't protect yourself. Oh, but you should protect yourself. How terribly do you have to raise your child, your 15-year-old? I think he was 15. I'm not sure the age of the child, but I know the the, the victim was was 15. To where if someone doesn't completely fight you off, it's okay to continue going after you unconsensually Put it. I I don't know a, a, a PG way to put this because this is a family friendly podcast. You unconsensually put it in. Pretty much. I don't know how to. I, I'm really trying to 
uh, I, I don't know how to word this, and it's very hard to talk about. I'm just going to say, as a 15-year-old, I would never think it was okay to go into the wrong, the, the wrong gender restroom and then assault someone sexually because they didn't stop me. And I don't think any reasonable 15-year-old, I don't think anyone, any reasonable, any age would think that was okay unless they are a pervert. And th- this kid is obviously a pervert. And I think I saw a picture of the mom. It's not on this article, but she had like a like a, a, a gay flag mask. Like, okay, we see the side you're on and you're on the side of the pedophiles. The assault in question received national attention after the Daily Wire reported that the victim's father, Scott Smith, showed up to a June 22nd board, school board meeting and accused the Loudoun County School Board District of co- trying to cover up his daughter's rape. He was arrested and ultimately charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest following an altercation with a woman at the meeting who said that she doubted the uh, validity of his daughter's sexual assault. The school district superintendent at the, said at the board meeting that the predator transgender student or a person simply does not exist. And to his knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our restrooms. But in an email uh, from May 28th, the day of the assault, the superintendent alerted school board members that a sexual assault had been reported. Virginia gubernatorial candidate Glenn Youngkin called for the resignation of the school board members last month after the email proved the school board was aware of the sexual assault. Okay. So, what is it called when someone has a narrative to where they will cover up the facts about something to continue with their narrative? Because this is one of those things. This is one of the, those, uh, I will hide from the facts if it doesn't fit my narrative. And in this narrative that the school board has, that the superintendent has, that this mother has, is that nothing wrong, nothing goes wrong in these transgender bathrooms, nothing goes wrong in these integrated by gender societies. And so we should continue allowing them to happen. And, and we cover up when people are severely harmed mentally and physically in these restrooms, in these societies, in these institutions, under these groups watch. And, and we cover that up. And they, and they cover that up, I should say. I'm not covering up anything. I'm exposing it. And they cover that up to where pretty much you can't go against their word because they have the power to change the facts, if you know what I'm trying to say by that. You can... Um, pretty much they, their facts or your facts don't really matter because that superintendent who lied can pretty much change the facts of anything because he has the power of the school board and the school board has the power to change those facts of that case. If, if you guys get what I'm trying to say, I, I'm, I'm not wording it very well. But you you have the institutions, kind of like with fake news, you have the institutions to change the fact of the case. And this is changing the fact of that case, and you can't change my mind on that. And they could have reasonably defended themselves. That, that woman could reasonably defend herself. Okay, whatever. Kyle Rittenhouse, and I've been avoiding talking about this on the show besides a little bit yesterday. Kyle Rittenhouse reasonably defended himself when he was lunged at Someone tried to grab his gun. I'm not going to get into a whole lot about this trial. I want to wait until it's over because I can't really follow every single minute of it, and I don't want to. I don't want to get it wrong. But this this is one of the jurors was dismissed 
for telling a joke about the Jacob Blake shooting. A juror in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse was dismissed early Thursday for making a joke about the shooting of a black man in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The juror, identified only as juror number seven, was being escorted to his car when he made comments to a court security officer about the number of times a white Kenosha police officer shot Jacob Blake on August 23rd, 2020. Jake Blake was left par- partially paralyzed by the shooting. Prosecutor Thomas Binger said that the comment demonstrated racial bias and the state asked that the ju- juror be excused. Kenosha County Circuit Judge Bruce Schroeder called the juror to the courtroom at the start of Thursday's proceeding to discuss the comment. I just wanted to see if it was accurate or not, the judge told the juror, and asked if he wanted to repeat or discuss the remark further. The juror acknowledged that he had made the comment, but declined to repeat it. My feeling is it was nothing to do with the case, it wasn't anything to do with Kyle and his seven charges, the juror said, without repeating his original comments. Before dismissing the juror, Schroeder said it was clear that the bias of the pres- the, the appearance of bias is present, and it would seriously undermine the outcome of the case. Even at the most, it was Badge's judgment to tell the joke of that nature, he said. Schroeder said that the public needs to be confident the trial is fair. Some family members of Blake's who were outside the courtroom on Thursday said they agreed with the judge's decision to dismiss the juror and take issue with how quickly the jury was selected. It's unconscionable that the jury was picked in one day. This clearly shows there was a flaw in that, trying to be in such a rush. The Blake's uncle, Justin Blake, who was repeating, uh, who was speaking on behalf of the family, said, Rittenhouse 18 is charged with reckless homicide, intentional homicide, and attempting... An attempted internet intentional homicide after he fatally shot two people and injured another during protest in Kenosha after Blake's shooting. Rittenhouse was 17 at the time. 20 people were selected Monday to serve as jurors on the case. During opening statements Tuesday, ben- Binging- Binger told the jury that Rittenhouse had no reason to kill Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaugh, saying that he was drawn to the chaos of protests in Kenosha. Defense lawyer Mark Richards told jurors that Rittenhouse acted in self-defense, believing that the men he shot were going to harm him. That article is by Dion Hampton with NBC News. So, my thoughts on this case so far. I don't think Kyle Rittenhouse did anything wrong. He did not travel across state lines with a gun. He did not illegally possess a firearm. And he acted in self-defense. And I think that's what this case is going to draw. I think it's going to draw the the correct results, and I hope that it draws the correct results. But this is the same country, this is the same uh, not country, but same system that arrested Derek Chauvin and charged him with like four counts of murder. And I I think that he should have been charged for something. I I don't think Chauvin should have walked. But I don't think I think accidental homicide or manslaughter would have been a, a correct charge for Derek Chauvin, and that was not what the charge was. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. I wasn't prepared for that. But this is the same system that arrested Derek Chauvin because of the national coverage his case had, and I think this uh, Kyle Rittenhouse case had a similar amount of national coverage, and I think it will have a similar result. Unfortunately, I, I think Kyle Rittenhouse should walk. I don't think Kyle Rittenhouse really did anything wrong. You're welcome to d- debate me. I will play your clip on the show. If you go to anchor.fm slash the conservative crusader, click the message button. And while you're there, click Apple Podcasts, rate five stars, help with the show. But Joe Biden is perfectly comfortable with payouts for illegal immigrants. The White House on Thursday reversed a comment made by President Joe Biden that his administration would not issue payouts to illegal immigrants suing the federal government. This is from Charlie Spurring, I think is how you pronounce that, from Breitbart.com. 
White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said Biden was actually perfectly comfortable with the idea, despite his comment Wednesday insisting it was not going to happen. She said if it saves taxpayer dollars and puts a disastrous history of the previous administration's use of zero tolerance and family separation behind us, the president is perfectly comfortable with the justice settling the individuals and families currently in litigation with the federal government. Biden previously called the reports that the Department of Justice was considering payouts to individual illegal immigrants who are separated under during former President Trump's zero tolerance policy, immigration enforcement policy, garbage and not true. But Jean Pierre said Biden was specifically referring to the idea of the reported 450 grand price tag, not the overall concept of a payout. The ACLU, which filed multiple lawsuits against the federal government on behalf of border crossers affected by Trump's policy, said that in the statement that Biden may have not been fully briefed about the Justice Department's plan. Here's a full tweet from the ACLU. Biden may not have been fully briefed about the actions of his own DOJ as it carefully considered the crimes committed against thousands of families. But if he follows through on what he said, the president is abandoning a campaign promise to do justice for separated families. We respectfully remind President Biden that he called these actions criminal in debate with then-President Trump and campaigned on remedying and rectifying the lawlessness of the Trump administration. We call on President Biden to right the wrongs of this national tragedy. We call on President, uh, as a statement, uh, Jim Pierre said that despite Biden's comments, the president believed in the independence of the Justice Department, but he struggled to explain exactly what he meant. He was asked a question and he answered it. She concluded putting forward further questions about the potential payments to the Justice Department. So, we are giving reparations to criminals, to people who illegally entered this country, broke our laws, disrespected our families, disrespected our institutions, disrespected our governments, our people, our taxes, our, I, I, I can continue on. And we're going to give them reparations, and we don't have a number anymore. The original number is 450 grand. Apparently that's not a good number for them. That might not be enough. I think I, I know exactly what we should give every illegal immigrant who enters this country illegally. Every illegal immigrant who enters this country illegally should get one thing and one thing only. And I'll tell you that right after we come back here on the Conservative Crusader. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about uh, a $10,000 ticket to eat dinner with a Senate candidate. We'll be talking about all that and more on the Conservative Crusader right as we get back from the break. So make sure you continue on the podcast and make sure you just, yeah, and stay and stay tuned. Welcome back. This is the Conservative Crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Again, make sure if you're enjoying the podcast, rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Interact with the show on anchor.fm slash the Conservative Crusader. Maybe chuck me a follow on Twitter over at GOP Josh 20. And I said before the break, there is one thing that every illegal immigrant in America should get. A ticket back to their home country. A plane ticket, a one-way plane ticket back to their home country. And that's all we should give them. And if they decide not to take the ticket? What is the thing where it's like held in contempt of Congress or whatever? 
that Steve Bannon was just charged with. Let's let's give them something like that. And then forcefully send them back to their own country. It's not our job to provide for illegal immigrants. It's not our job to provide for any immigrants as American citizens. That's not our job. It's not part of our It's not part of our job. I don't know really how to word it otherwise. All we should do is send them a ticket back to their home country and get them off of our hands. Because it's not our job to provide for them. And that's all we should give them. We should not give them $450,000. We shouldn't give them $450. We shouldn't give them $4.50. We should give them a plane ticket back to their own country. And that's it. And you know, with $10,000 that you would donate to J.D. Vance to meet him for dinner, which we'll get into next, you could probably send them back to their home country. So if you want to have dinner with J.D. Vance and Peter Thiel, I hear bad things about Peter Thiel. I'm not really sure who he is, but if you want to, donate $10,800 by today, so it's probably already over, and I'll send you the details. This will be a small group with good food and even better company. If that's too much, donate $250 and you'll be invited to a Zoom discussion where you probably won't get to unmute your microphone with me and other conservative leaders. I'll answer every question. A man of the people, this is some no, someone, I think he's a, a Democrat, to News Junkie on Twitter, N-E-W-Z Junkie. Nothing says man of the people, and I'm going to take down big tech quite like a 10000 dinner with Peter Thiel. JFC, Jesus... Christ, which I don't like using his name like that, but that's what the tweet says. This is a joke. I agree. (laughs) $10,000 to eat dinner with a millionaire. I'm just, my guess is that he's, he's just failing at his, his donors. He's just not getting the donor numbers he needs for his liking. And he thinks that he's, he's going to lose. And, he needs the money, so if you want to sit down and uh, if you want to give JD Vance eleven thousand dollars to sit down for dinner, uh, I'll, I'll put the link in the description. I guess I don't know, but if you want to send someone ten dollars, you can donate to Josh Mandel ten dollars and eighty cents. Anyone can join me eating fries off the hood of the car from a gas station Denny's at midnight. That's more like it. That's more like the man of the people, Josh Mandel, and I, I, I previously endorsed in this race I am no longer endorsed in this race because none of the candidates are really speaking to me anymore I I formally endorsed Jane Timken nothing wrong with Jane Timken I just there's a very large crowd debates have hardly just started and everyone is seems very competitive and I I really haven't picked a favorite yet in this race so that I endorsed before um, J.D. Vance hopped in before Mike Gibbons hopped in, before Bernie Moreno hopped in, as far as I'm aware. So there, it was a very premature decision. So I, I'm not endorsed. Although I probably won't endorse someone who needs $10,000 to eat dinner with some of his fans. But I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I'll have to see what comes up from that. So I, I waited until the second segment of the show. To see if 
flags that I get about, you're spreading vaccine misinformation on YouTube. You're spreading vaccine misinformation on this platform and that platform. Seeing if I wait until 20 minutes into the episode, if I can avoid those flags. So we'll see. Labor Secretary Walsh, we're not imposing a vaccine mandate. Employees can get tested. I think this is a clip from Wolf Blitzer. I think this will play. I think it's the clip that I'm looking for. Here on Breitbart, we'll try this out. Joining us now to talk about this, the Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, You're getting some uh, pushback right now. The uh, National Retail Federation, and I'm quoting now, calls it burdensome and unnecessary. The Associated Builders and Contractors, a trade group, uh, says it's likely to increase costs for the American public. How do you respond to this? Well, it's certainly not going to increase costs to the American public. And what, what this standard is, it, is, it's a process of getting people vaccinated. And if people choose not to get vaccinated, they, they get tested. It's that simple. And we want to make sure that, that, that we keep American workers safe in the workplaces. Uh, some of the folks that aren't coming back to work are still in fear of the virus. And what we want to do is get as many people vaccinated and people that choose not to get vaccinated, making sure we know that people are safe and not bringing the coronavirus into the workplace. As you- I'm pausing it. So, we can mandate the vaccine for these employees who uh, are already facing a labor shortage. For these employees who are also are already facing higher retail costs to feed their family, making it harder to survive on a single income. We're going to mandate the vaccine for these businesses who are about to go out of business because no one's, to, no one's working and they can't support themselves. But yeah, let's mandate the vaccine. You know, OSHA says, and I'm, I'm being specific now, that they'll fine uh, companies $14,000 per violation. People don't do what they're supposed to be doing, according to this new mandate. Uh, they say the mandate covers 80 million workers in the U.S. Uh, so how, how would OSHA actually enforce this? OSHA's done this for over 50 years, so they certainly have the enforcement mechanism down. But I, I'm not looking. I've got the question a lot today. I'm not looking at the negative side. I'm looking at the positive side. Uh, we've seen many companies in America that have brought in a mandate uh, they have about 85 to 90 percent of their employees getting vaccinated already. And what we want to do is just encourage people to get vaccinated if they choose not to give. I'm pausing it. So previously, 85 to 90 percent was herd immunity. Assuming the other 10 percent already had COVID and are immune. That's herd immunity. That's, that's all you need. And then you can just go back to normal life. But you're going to have to get double doses and then triple doses and then take a pill. And then, oh, my. I guess I'll finish this clip. I don't know vaccinated we're asking they're going to get tested and then in the workplace when they're around other people are going to wear a mask this is not a mandate uh it really is about how do we get this is not a mandate you're the mandating a vaccine or a mask and testing that who's going to pay for the testing no one knows who's going to pay for the testing the american workforce safe president biden uh announced this in september asked osha to come back with a standard we came back with a standard today and that's and that's what we're going to move forward on. As you know, some states are already threatening to sue yeah. uh, to prevent you guys from, from doing this. How confident are you that you have the legal Some epic states, by the way. And get this done. Yeah, we're confident in this. And, and to be honest with you, I was thinking backstage before I came out with you. Uh, the first time I was on with you was when I was mayor of Boston. And we were talking about the coronavirus and the amount of people that died in Boston that particular day. And the amount of people that got infected that particular day. From that day till today, we have uh, 745,000 Americans that have lost their life. People are still getting testing positive. What we want to do is get to the other side of this virus. This is one step in moving there, making sure we have safety in the workplace and, and encouraging people to get vaccinated. And if they choose not to, test. Yeah, just to be precise, the job. 
Okay, I'm I, I'm ending the clip there. So uh, I don't know what the rest of the clip is. I didn't actually finish watching this clip. The vaccine does not stop you from spreading COVID nineteen. The vaccine does not stop you from getting sick from COVID nineteen and having symptoms. The vaccine does not stop you from infecting other people with COVID nineteen. So why why? Are we requiring employees in these industries that are already suffering to get this vaccine? Why are we requiring these industries that are already having a labor shortage, that are already having increasing prices so they can afford to pay their staff that's still working, they can, they can offer higher prices, why are we making life harder for them? Over this vaccine, that this is another story I kind of want to segue into, More than half of unvaccinated Americans say nothing will change their mind about the vaccine. Nothing will change their mind about the vaccine. Researchers in Boston, this is from uh, Infowars' Paul Joseph Watson, that last article, which I don't actually read, was from Ian Hanchett from Breitbart, but this is from Infowars. Researchers in Boston, New York, and Barcelona found that 53% of participants who have not been vaccinated will, will, will not be convinced by anyone to take the shot. 13% say they may be swayed by advice from a close friend or family member. 9% said a recommendation from a family doctor. Conservative people living in poverty and those who worked outside the home are more likely to be against vaccination, the survey data showed, reports the Daily Mail. The fact that the survey was conducted in April 2021 before the Delta surge and announcing the Biden administration vaccine mandate is telling. Over six months ago, the poll found that 21% of respondents said they did not want to get the vaccine. Current figures show that around 20% of U.S. adults remain unvaccinated, meaning that only 1% have been convinced during that time. As we had earlier, unvaccinated Americans working for companies with more than 100 employees are set to be punished by being forced to wear masks at all times indoors. While a slim majority of Americans say their minds cannot be changed when it comes to getting the vaccine, the number is significantly higher, significantly higher in Germany. As we previously reported, 90% of Germans who haven't taken the COVID-19 say they won't get it, with only the remaining 10% saying they will probably get it or are remaining undecided. I'm in the 90% of Germans. I'm not a German, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm with the 90% of Germans. I'm with the 53% of Americans. I am unvaccinated. I will not get this vaccine under any circumstance. And you shouldn't either. Stand up to the tyranny. You know, clocks are moving back Saturday or Sunday, November 7th, if you're in a time zone with time change like I am. And you know, you know, I, I, um, I, I'm turning my clock back quite a bit. To 1776. And this is a, a, a TikTok audio. When this country had guts, I want to use the word guts, but you guys know the word I'm thinking of, uh, little uh, manly things, and women didn't. I'm turning my clock back to 1776, where men had you-know-whats, or well, their country had you-know-whats, and men didn't. Or women didn't. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I was reading something as I was speaking while women didn't. So I'm ending the show today. I will not be speaking for the rest of the show. I'm just playing a clip. So if you if you want to click off, you can. Of Mike Carey. Well, it's actually Marcy Kuptur, who is the leader of the Ohio delegation in the Ohio or in the U.S. House, speaking 
on behalf of Mike Carey and the Mike Carey giving his first presentation to Congress. We'll be playing that clip right here. Uh, as for now, this has been the Conservative Crusader. Thank you for tuning in. My name is JP Josh. Follow me on Twitter, JP Josh20. Rate this podcast five stars. Anchor.fm slash the Conservative Crusader. And after this clip, stay tuned. I have the additional distinct pleasure of welcoming Representative Mike Carey of Sabina, Ohio, to the 117th Congress and to Ohio's Buckeye State Congressional Delegation. Ohio is truly the industrial heartland of America. And the 15th Congressional District embodies our... I lied. I actually am talking here. So uh, for you guys who don't know, uh, Marcy Couture is a Democrat. She is the Ohio delegation leader. She seems very kind. Not on her policies. I don't know her politics, but she seems, very, she seems very kind. ...region's aspirations and struggles. The hardworking men and women of South Central Ohio hold high hopes... They have sent Representative Mike Carey to advance progress for Ohio and America. We know he will champion the cause of workers and families so all can succeed. We all can imagine how very proud his family and friends are at this unforgettable moment. From assuring America's energy independence and deploying broadband internet to rebuilding our roads, bridges, and power grid, Representative Mike Carey will bring his experience to bear with the energy industry to move Ohio and America forward and secure good-paying jobs for the middle class. Uh-oh. I had some technical difficulties there. I'm going to skip forward to Mike Carey's speech because I, I do want to play this and I want to end the episode in a reasonable amount of time. Let me make sure my audio is going to be correct here. I'm sorry about that, guys. Uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Madam Speaker, first, I'm humbled to stand here today to serve in the People's House as a product of the small town of Sabina, Ohio. I want to thank my family, my wonderful wife, Megan, who is home with our young son, Conrad, while we are preparing to welcome a new son into the world in just a couple of weeks. Also, my incredible son, Prescott, my brother, Chad, my loving mother, Deborah, who are all here today in the gallery. To the people of Ohio's 15th district, from our smallest towns to our state capital in Columbus, I am truly honored that you have entrusted with me with this solemn duty. Whether you work on a farm, own a small business, or a large employer, I promise to fight for our district and to represent you all with dignity and respect. The problems facing our nation today are great and consequential. Working families need this body to deliver solutions. Today, I am ready to work for the people of my district and for this great nation. Thank you. I yield back. My name is Josh. This has been the Conservative Crusader. Stay tuned.